Welcome. The parish is a church community in Alpharetta, Georgia, practicing the way of Jesus for the sake of others. Talks like these are just one part of how we gather to be deeply reshaped by Jesus. So we invite you to join us any Sunday morning for a full church gathering. You can find more information or contact us by visiting our website at parishanglican.org. We have a special guest who's going to speak with us this morning. Uh, John Ott is uh, a beloved member of our parish community. John is the first person of the parish that I ever spoke to when I still lived in Indiana and I was trying to discern is the parish where I'm supposed to be. Uh, I was put in touch with John and uh, whatever you said hooked me, because here I am. <laughs> uh, but John is a gift, and you'll see why here in a few minutes, no pressure. Um, but John's, uh, particularly his work, deals a lot around themes of vocation and personhood and how we show up in the world as inwardly sound, others-oriented people. And so I it just felt as we begin this work with me section of the Matthew 11 passage that we would not be able to do better than uh, creating space for John to share with us around this. So having said that, uh, John's going to come up in a second, but actually I forgot we need to do our scripture reading first. So Jim, are you in the room? Jim, Jim, Jim. There he is. Okay. Jim's going to come up and he's going to guide us in our gospel reading and that will set the stage for John. And whenever we read from the gospels, uh, as we're able, we like to stand together to just recognize the presence of Jesus in this room. And so uh, Jim will lead us in our scripture reading and then John's going to take it from there. And now Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced, unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Good morning. It is a joy to be with you this morning, and uh, it's, it's a joy I can't put words around to do this with my son. My son Josh uh, played piano this morning, and uh, so my, my heart as a dad is swelling out of my chest. Sorry to, uh, to embarrass you, Josh, uh, but it's true. And um, do you remember the first time you came to the parish? Like today could be the first day for some of you, but do you remember the first time you came? I was thinking about this a little bit as I prepared. The, the first time that, that our family came to the parish was in June of 2015, so it's over six years ago. It's my wife, Shannon, and my son, Josh, and my other son, David, and my daughter, Naomi, and Jake. Jake was a baby at that point. We came to the parish, and, and what was significant to me about that is that we had just come off the heels of two really difficult church experiences, and, and part of what made it difficult was that there were two churches that we dearly loved. And we had some difficult experiences. That's a story for another time. Uh, but I was in a spot where I wondered if I would ever love a church again. Would we find a church that actually felt like home? And we'd known of the parish, and uh, we, we thought, it's too far away. We live in North Forsyth County. It's too far away for us. It's like 30 minutes away. Uh, and it is too far away. <laughs> but, but we came down, and we visited one time. You guys, and I walked in the door, and I just teared up. And I felt like I was home. And we found a church 
or God brought us to a church that, that we loved. And the reason that we love this church is, is in part because his spirit is here and in part because his people are here. And uh, I look around this room and I see faces that I know very well and people who have become dear to us, to our family, and faces I don't know as well yet. Um, but this is a special place. It's a, it's a place where I have found healing and redemption and new life in Christ. And so I'm, I'm grateful. And it's part of what has me grateful uh, for the invitation today from Jordan, thank you, uh, to share with you some of the journey that I've been on personally uh, that I think may have some relevance to each of us today. And, and the question that, that we're going to come around today is how do you know the difference between what you could do and what you're called to do? How do you know the difference? And we're going to take a look at four questions that we can take to Jesus. There's lots of questions we could take to Jesus. Four questions that we could take to him um, eventually along the way to ask him about this. We'll, we'll put this up in just a moment um, to help us get some clarity on this. But, but the question, what, how do we know the difference between what we could do and what we're called to do? And I, this is a question that's been intriguing to me uh, for a number of years, probably for most of my adulthood. And I think it began as, as a curiosity. You know, you know this, I know this, that in life there are so many things that we could do especially for those of us who live in the United States, we have access to lots of different options. There's really a virtually an unlimited number of options for things that we could put our time and our effort and our money and our attention to. And, and so earlier in our lives, we have the space to do that. We can take on lots of different things, but as we go along, um, the stakes get a little higher. There's more that we're responsible for. There's more that we have uh, under Again, in our realm of responsibility, there's more things that we could do. And, 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 and so the question moves from being a curiosity. To me, what I've discovered is that this question has become vital. What is the difference between what I could do and what I'm called to do? The question becomes vital. Because what I've noticed about myself is that I have a propensity to take on too much. And, and taking on too much you know, it, it, can, it takes me to a place of being frazzled. Uh, it takes me to a place of being worn out. If I stay in it long enough, it takes me to a place of being exhausted. And, and I'll tell you that twice in my life, I've stayed in that space of taking on too much for too long, and it has led me into a depression. And, and I don't know if any of you have dealt with depression, uh, but I'll tell you, depression has been a... a the word that comes up for me is a woolly booger. Uh, it, it's, it's, it's difficult because uh, there's kind of a mind game that goes on. It's like, am I really depressed or am I just tired? Am I really depressed or am I just making this up? Uh, but what I noticed is that, is that in these seasons where I've taken on too much and I've become exhausted to the point where depression starts to roll in, it's almost like there's an inky blackness that comes in off the horizon and I could see it coming. And it settles in on me, and it, there's a, a sense of feeling powerless over it. It's almost like I'm just going to have to sit in it for a few days. And if I persist in carrying too much, and I persist in having a soul that's worn out, if I persist in carrying burdens, um, it just keeps coming back. It keeps coming back, and it's like I, I don't know what to do about this. I don't feel like I can do anything to it. I feel like I'm 
beholden to it. And the last time that this happened was in March, kind of the first quarter of 2020. And I, I was in the middle of a bunch of stuff on the work front. And we had a, a number of big projects that were getting started with a couple of clients. We were onboarding some new partners in the work. There were some legal things that we were working on. There was some design stuff that was going on. And that's just on the work front, you know. I've, my wife and I are blessed to have four kids, and there's a lot going on in our house. And uh, so there's those responsibilities as well. Uh, and then it's a number of other things, the normal stuff of life. But it, 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 it got to this point where I remember being on the phone one day with, um, with one of my colleagues, and they made a simple request of me. It was a very simple request. It was a reasonable request. It was a small request. But I remember feeling like something right in here. I felt, I felt like a pop on the inside. And I don't even know really what that was. I don't know if it was bodily. I, I don't know, but I remember feeling like a pop. And then something went off in my mind. It was like this, okay, you have gone over a limit. You have got to step back. You have got to do something different because you're in a danger zone. This is like the voice that was going on in my head. And um, I went to my wife and told her what was going on. And she's like, well, what is it you think that you need? And, and I remember hearing uh, what came back up for me is I remember talking to a friend in a different season who himself was, had been in a depression. And he said, yeah, you know that feeling like where all you want to do is go lay in bed and pull the sheets over your head and just stay there for days at a time? And I was like, is that a thing? Like, can people do that? Because he said that's what he did. And I remember so desperately longing for that experience. And for some reason, in my mind, in my head, in my heart, I was like, I can't do that. I've got four kids. I've got jobs to do. I've got clients to serve. I've got family to take care of. I can't do that. But she said, what do you need? What do you want? And I was like, I feel like I need some rest. And this was at the beginning of the pandemic, as you may remember. And so um, we got to look in, and like at that point in time, everybody was freaked out, and Airbnb was like, no, you can't rent anywhere. You can't go anywhere. You can't. It was all that stuff. And, and she said, well, what if you just carved out a space in the basement? We had kind of a finished space in the basement. So what if you just carved out a space in the basement and you took the rest of the week and you just went down there and you did what you needed to do? And so she created that space for me. And it was really hard to accept because I know and you know what life is like. There's lots of things floating around and I'm the dad. I've got... I can hold part of the responsibility. And, and so I knew that she was making a sacrifice to give me that space. Uh, a big sacrifice for me. And, and I, I accepted it. And I spent the better part of a week in our basement. And what I did was nothing for a few days. I just slept. And I took it easy. And she would bring me food, or the kids would bring me food three times a day and not expect anything of me. And that was so, there was a part of that that felt so loving and a part of that that felt humiliating um, and humbling in the sense of like, this is what I need right now. And after a day or two, there's, I started to feel some of that replenishment inside myself. And, um, and then I started to ask the Lord, what's going on here? This is now the second time that this has happened in this way, but I've had plenty of times in my life where I've been exhausted from taking on too much 
And it's like, Lord, what is happening here? Why does this keep happening? I need you to tell me. I need you to show me because it's got to stop. I've got to get a better handle on this because I can't live life this way. And so he met me there in that space in a variety of ways. Uh, And one of the ways that he met me was through this little book by a guy named Parker Palmer. It's called Let Your Life Speak. This thickness hopefully is not too intimidating to anyone. This is a really short book that's packed full of wisdom. And in it, Parker Palmer talks about his own depression. And he talks about things that were remarkably similar to what I had experienced. And and one of the things that he said in the book is he says, part of the thing that leads us to this place of exhaustion and burnout and depression, he says it in a little bit of a different way, but is that we we failed to discern the difference between what we could do and what we're called to do. And, and, and that little word called is a word that I think gets thrown around quite a bit. Um, it's like, does, did God call me to do this or not? And it's a deep question. Am I called to do this? And it is the fundamental question of vocation. Uh, those of you who know me know that I'm kind of a word nerd. And so break down the word vocation for just a minute. The first part of that, voca, comes from the Latin word that means call or to speak. So who is it that is calling you? What is it that you're being called to? That is the fundamental question of vocation. And so Parker Promel, what he talks about in there is that we fail, to, we fail to listen to the true voice, the voice that Andy was talking about, the voice of the good shepherd, and we listen to another voice. And fundamentally, it's to the voices of ethic and ego. The voice of ethic is the voice of what you ought to do. Anytime you hear that word, Oh, anytime you hear that in your head, I ought to do this. That's the voice of ethic. It's an internal voice that's telling you what you should strive to do so that you can be a good person. What ought you to do? The second voice is the voice of ego. It's the voice of that thing inside of us that says, this is what you've got to do to feel loved, to feel safe, to feel protected, Uh, to feel calm. This is what you've got to do. This is your program for happiness and survival in the world. So for me, what I was listening to is this voice of ought to in terms of this is what I ought to do to be a good dad. This is what I ought to do to be a good husband. This is what I ought to do to be a good business partner. This is what I ought to do to be faithful to my clients and uphold my end of the bargain in terms of what they've contracted me to do. This is what I ought to do. And what I've noticed that I tend to do is set an impossible standard and then wreck myself against it. I aim, I I decide what that standard is going to be, and it's usually quite lofty. And then I exhaust myself trying to do it, trying to be a great husband, trying to be a great dad, trying to be a great business partner or um, coach or consultant for my clients. The second voice is the voice of ego. This is what you need to do. And for me, what I've noticed in my life is that the voice of ego is the voice that says, uh, here's what you need to do, John, in order to receive love. I want to be loved, and what I have noticed in myself is that instead of accepting the fact that I'm loved already by God, by my wife, by my family, by my friends, instead of accepting that right off the bat, the, the, the message that plays inside of me is the message that you need to achieve, you need to do, you need to accomplish, and that's how you get love. I'd rather do for you than accept love from you. That's what my ego says. Those are the voices, the voice of ethic, the voice of ego that draws me into a place that has me take on too much 
that leaves me exhausted and depressed. Jesus and I did a lot of work that week. He did a lot of work. I did a lot of listening. And that, that led me to talking to a counselor. It led me to go see my primary care physician who prescribed a little bit of medication to help with that. Um, and it has led me towards a vigilance about what I say yes to and what I say no to. Um, but more than anything, it's led me to the feet of Jesus. And that's the main thing that I want us to come around this morning. So that's me. That's part of, part of my story, part of me not listening to the voice of the shepherd, but listening to other voices. That's part of me taking up all these things that I could do instead of the very few things that I'm called to do. I don't know how that is for you. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know if you have a propensity to take on too much to the point of exhaustion. I don't know what the voice of ethics sounds like to you in terms of what you ought to do. What are all the things that you ought to do that you feel like you're not doing, that you, you feel an anxiety, you feel a burden around that they're not getting done? What are those things for you? I, I don't know what the voice of ego sounds like inside your head. I don't know if you carry a sense of shame, if you carry a wondering if you belong, a wondering if... If you are loved, if you feel unsafe, if you feel disturbed and unsettled, and what it is that you need to do in order to feel loved. Is it serving other people? Is it being thought of as unique? Maybe for you, it's, is you're, you're constantly feeling the threat of every single possibility of what could go wrong. Or you're feeling like you need to be in control of situations, or that you've got to do what is morally right that you feel these deep, burdensome obligations. I, my guess is that in this room, yours looks different than mine, maybe, but that you are feeling some sort of burden, some sort of weariness, some sort of exhaustion. And Jesus speaks into this. He knows that there's something about this that's universal to all of us. And before we get into his words of life, I want to pause for just a moment. In fact, I want to give you a couple of minutes right now to reflect on what is it that you're carrying in this season. We're going to put a few questions up on the screen about the nature of the burdens that we carry. So think about this. What, are you, what has you feeling weary and burdened these days? What are you carrying? What are you facing? What in your life feels heavy or ill-fitting? Underneath every chair, there's a piece of paper and a pen. And I'm going to invite you to take two minutes right now to sit before the Lord and to take a bit of an inventory, some shameless discernment, some non-judgmental discernment. What has you feeling weary? What has you feeling burdened? Is there anything that feels heavy? Is there anything that stirs up anxiety in your life right now? Is there anything that's wearing you out? 
Why don't you take two minutes? We're going to be silent together. Take two minutes and simply make a note of whatever that might be. Don't judge yourself for whatever might show up on that list. But take two minutes right now. Take about 30 more seconds. So we're going to work with this list this morning a little bit. And we're going to, we're going to invite Jesus into this list, the thing, these things that you've captured. Um, and in this question, I, I took this question, of how do you know the difference between what you could do and what you're called to do? I took it to my friend Mike Nelson, who I, who I regard to be a man of discernment. I said, Mike, talk to me about discernment. And the very first thing that Mike said was, Remember how loved you are. Remember how loved you are. That you have a heavenly father who loves you deeply. Paul Tillich said, faith is the courage to accept acceptance. To accept that God loves me as I am, not as I should be, because I never will be as I should be. You are loved deeply to the core before you've ever done anything you were loved. So before we talk about any questions that we take to Jesus, be reminded of that. Sit with that. Sit with how loved you are by God. Now, in that space, in that spirit, there's four questions that I want to offer you this morning, questions that I'm learning myself, uh, questions that I'm having to come back to repeatedly. Now, there's lots of questions, I'm sure, that we could ask that would help us to become more clear about what we're called to do versus what we could do, but these are four and the very first question is the most important question. Is this burden even mine to carry? Is the thing that's on my list, 
Is, is there anything on my list? Of these things, is this even mine to carry? I have a propensity, my guess is some of you have a propensity to see things and then to take them up as though they were yours just because you could see them. Now, I want to talk to you about this from what I, what, what I think is one of the most beautiful books in the entire scripture. Um, it, it's a little bit obscure, but it's the book of Deuteronomy. I love this book. And the, the passage that we read this morning from the book of Deuteronomy is, is the one that I want us to zero in on for just a few minutes around this question. So let's go back, if we can, just a little bit. The first chapter of Deuteronomy, uh, to set the stage a little bit, the people of Israel have been in the desert for 40 years. They've been wandering around in the desert for 40 years. They've wandered in the desert so long that every single adult who left the, 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 uh, the nation of Egypt, every single adult that left Egypt out of the original Exodus, every single one of those adults has passed away, which means that every single person who was out there in the wilderness was either born just as they were leaving Egypt or was born in the wilderness. This is the only life they've ever known. And they'd heard rumor that there was a promised land ahead of them. Uh, but they, didn't, they weren't living there yet. Can you imagine how much they longed to be home? How much they longed to be out of the wilderness? And so the beginning of Deuteronomy picks up with them about to go into the promised land. They're right on the doorstep of the promised land. And Moses is telling them their history. And he says that we first went out of Egypt. When we first left Egypt... God led us directly to the promised land, and it was time for us to go in. This is the story, if you remember it all, of Joshua and Caleb, where they sent out the advance party to say, let's take, let's take a look at the land. This is the land that God's telling us to take. And, and they come back and go, Joshua and Caleb say, yeah, we can do it. And the other 10 go, mm, I don't think so. This is kind of scary. And so the people are like, yeah, we're not going to go do this. And God's furious with them. They don't trust him. And so he says, too bad. None of you are going to go into the promised land because you doubted me. And in fact, Moses, you're not going in either. And the people were super sorry. And so then they decide that they're going to go into the promised land. And so they take off without God's help and they get decimated. And so they, then they take up, they go into the wilderness for 38 more years. And Moses says, and now it's time. But what he says to them, what God says to them is, now, the promised land is right over there. But in order to get there, you're going to have to go through some territories first. He says, you're going to go through Esau's land. I don't want you to touch it. I don't want you to pick a fight. It's not your land. You're just passing through. He says the same thing about the Moabites' land and the same thing about the people of Ammon. Those, all those places belong to the people of Lot. He said, this is not your land. Don't touch it. Don't pick a fight. Don't take it. Just because you can see it, just because you can put your hands on it, doesn't mean that it's necessarily yours to do. Doesn't mean that it's yours to take. But when they come up on the, uh, the country of Heshbon and they come up on the area of Bashan, God says, this is your land. Take it. I'm giving it to you. Now, this is kind of an obscure passage. But as I'm reading through it, what I'm hearing the Holy Spirit say to me, and I think to you, is that just because you can see something, just because you could put your hands on something, doesn't necessarily mean that it's yours to take. 
for yours to do. How many things in my life and in your life have we come in contact with? And just because we could see the opportunity, just because we could see the need, we made an assumption that it was ours to do. Uh, the, um, um, what's his name? John Paul Sartre, the philosopher, has this concept called bad faith. Essentially, it's that we arrange the circumstances of our lives and then complain about the circumstances of our lives. That we, we move to the north and then complain about the snow. Well, we made that decision. We marry a dreamer and then we complain about their dreams. We have lots of kids and then we complain about the responsibility. I mean, how many things in our lives have we taken on, not because God called us to, but we saw the opportunity and so we took it. Inherently, there's nothing really wrong with that, but there's this little place inside of me and maybe inside of you as well that forgets that there's certain things that we chose. God didn't ask us to do, but we chose them and we took them up. And it may or may, it may, or may not be something that he's asked us to continue to carry. It could be something that we could lay down. It could be something that we could let go of. That's the first and most important question is, is there something that you're carrying that actually isn't yours to carry? You know, Jesus says, I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. If there's something on you that's heavy or ill-fitting, he didn't put it there. That's the first question. The second question is, is this the right time? Is this the right time? There's a season for everything in our lives. And there are certain things that God may have put in front of us that he's asked us to do or that he wants for us to do. He's calling us to do, but it's not the right time. Maybe it's not the right time to get married. Maybe it's not the right time to have kids. Maybe it's not the right time to go search for the new car or for the new house. Maybe it's not the right time to start that new business. Maybe it's not the right time to make whatever the purchase is or to plant the new garden or to buy the chickens. We just got some chickens. We were going to get them back in the spring, but we were both like, I don't know if this is the right time. Is there anything on your list that maybe you've taken up that maybe God intends for you? It's just not the right time. Or maybe there's a, on, on the question of time, maybe there's something that you've taken up and you assumed that it was something for you to take up forever. But maybe it's just for a season. Maybe that season is past. Maybe it's time to lay it down. So that's the second question. Is this the right time? This next question is a big struggle for me as well. Is this mine alone? I remember being in sixth grade and the teacher came in and challenged us to create a sentence, 10 words, two letters each word. Create a sentence where each word is only two letters and there's 10 words in the sentence. And we struggled with it, struggled with it. And the answer was, if it is to be, it is up to me. If it is to be, it is up to me. And that something about that clicked with my little sixth grade soul. And I was like, yep, that's it. If there's a responsibility that's put in front of me, it's mine to do alone. So interesting. This depression in, in the first quarter of last year. I was talking to my friends and my coworkers and my wife about it, you know, as I'm gaining clarity about, about these different things. And I told Shannon, and Shannon was like, why didn't you let me help? 
And I went to two of my coworkers independently and they listened with their hearts and they cared and just like my wife, they cared. And, and, and they said to me, why didn't you let me help? And I went and told my friend, one of my, one of my buddies, and he said, man, I really appreciate you telling me and I'm sorry that you're here and all those things, but like, why didn't you tell me when you're in the middle of it? Like, why didn't you tell me earlier? Why didn't you let me help? And it left me with this reflection of what is it that has me living in such a way that I'm not helpable? What is it in me that has me assuming that if I have something to do, that I have to do it by myself? So the question back to you, question before Jesus is, is there anything on this list that you're carrying alone then maybe he's inviting you to invite some other people into it to help you carry the burden. Maybe there's parts and pieces of this that somebody else can carry. Maybe, maybe the duty, the responsibility, the opportunity is a team sport, not a solo endeavor. And then the last question is, how much is enough? How much is enough? Let me give you a, two really, really, really simple, silly examples. Last night, I was cleaning out the, the lint, the dryer vent hose. You know that glamorous project that all of us take on from time to time? I was cleaning out the dryer vent hose. And every time I vacuumed up the dust that was coming out, like I found more dust. And there was some part of me that was like driven to vacuum up every little piece of dust and make that thing perfect. There's that part of me that wants to do that. And then I was like, I think it was the spirit was like, hey, Maybe it's okay to get like 80% of the dust. There's probably going to be more dust that shows up like as soon as you leave the room. I was like, oh. So maybe it's enough. Maybe I don't have to go all the way. When we first got married, I devised a system. This is the other silly example. I devised a system for keeping up with our finances that involved, you guys, this is so silly. It involved taking every single bill that we received and not only paying it, but three-hole punching it and putting it in a binder organized by tabs. I have a binder from 2001 that has all of our electric bills in it. And I did this for like three years before I stepped back and thought, is this necessary? This is very organized, but like, is this helping anything? No. Again, there's that propensity in me to establish a quality standard that makes sense in the vacuum of space it isn't necessary. Is there anything on your list where you have identified a quality standard that is lofty that Jesus might say to you, if it's good, it's great? I heard that from my friend Vanessa. You know that you've heard the phrase, good is the enemy of great. Like we should strive for greatness. We should give 100% at everything that we do. I mean, there's truth in that, right? There's truth that we want to give our best to certain things. But there's another way of saying it too, that if it's good, it's great. If it's good enough, it's good enough. I remember saying to a teacher one time, I just want to be a great dad. And she said to me, what if being a good enough dad is good enough? What if being a good enough husband is good enough? What if being a good enough follower of Jesus is good enough? Is there any quality difference? Is there a quality difference there somewhere? So I'm going to invite you to take a couple minutes right now with your list to sit before these questions with the Lord. And as you do, I'm going to put a, a, um, 
a painting up on the screen. This is from my friend Diana. She painted this. And it's, a, it's an artistic representation from her heart, from her soul, that comes out of the passage in Matthew, where Jesus talks about a, an easy burden and a light yoke. So it could be that when we take a couple of minutes here to sit before the Lord with these lists, it could be that this image is a visual meditation for you to think about the things that are on your list. So here I'm going to give you two minutes and begin by remembering that you're deeply, deeply loved. Your Heavenly Father loves you. And sit with these four questions with him. Heavenly Father, is there anything on my list that's not mine to carry? Is there anything on my list that I've taken up here and it's not the right time? Is there something here that I've assumed is mine alone? And Father, how much is enough? So take two minutes right now to sit with him and pay attention to what comes up. Take about 20 more seconds. That's Mike and the band to come on back up. So our lives are far too complex for two minutes to be enough. But maybe you can take this with you today and this week and sit before the Lord and invite him to speak to you about what's on your list. And, uh, you know, in my time since March of last year, um, you know, I've got this thing figured out. And so I don't don't take on too much anymore. I'm a master of my own boundaries and my own to-do list, which is totally false. What I've noticed is I've got this propensity to wander. I've got this propensity to stop listening to the voice of the shepherd and listen to the voice of ethic and ego, to take on too much. And so it's a daily practice. It's a regular practice of leaving and coming.
coming back. I'm prone to wander, prone to take on too much. And one of the beautiful things about the invitation of Jesus is that he doesn't invite us to come back to a plan or to an approach or to a playbook. He invites us to come back to himself. Watch how I do it. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Sing, O oh, to grace. O oh, to grace, how great a debtor. Daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Prone to wander. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Jesus, we thank you for, for drawing us back to yourself, for inviting us to come, for giving us the gift of the Holy Spirit, for walking with us, life, that we might co-labor with you and watch how you